Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Information is more available to us today than ever. Uh, let me give you some statistics. I pulled these off of the uh, site Tech Jury, um, a site that looks at big data and its role in our lives. Every day, every single day, there are 3.5 billion searches typed into a Google search bar. It's a lot. In fact, you, as the average person, not the average person in America, the average human being on planet Earth, you generate 1.7 megabytes of data per second. That's a lot. In fact, what that all adds up to is that on the internet, there are 40 trillion gigabytes of data. That's how big the internet is. Let me put that in perspective for you. If you have the average spectrum or wow internet connection here in St. Petersburg, it would take you to the year 2300 to download the internet if you were running 24-7 with no outages and no slower speeds. 180 years. And here's what's crazy. 90% of that data has been created in the past two years. I found this interesting. Every minute, Twitter posts half a million tweets. Every minute. We have a nearly infinite amount of information that we have access to in our pockets. And no... The irony is not lost on me that this morning's service is online only. I I totally see the irony there. But with all of this data that we have at our fingertips, we also have a systemic cultural inability to do anything with that information. Because we have an ocean of information at our fingertips, we can always find somebody who agrees with us, no matter how outlandish or wild something we believe is. And so what's happened to us as a culture is that we have become information gluttons. We chase the rabbit of, I wonder what's up with that person that I knew in high school, and with just a few clicks, we can find the information that we want. We want to find out who won the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1927. Click, 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 answer. Information gathered. We imbibe whatever the news anchors tell us. We live on scroll feeds. We constantly seek new information. We're constantly doing all this. And then what happens is we come to church. As people who are used to new information all the time, instantly pouring into us, coming at us whether we like it or not. We show up to church and we're searching for something new. Tell me some new story, Jesus, about Jesus, preacher man. Dazzle me with a did you know? 
Well, I've got some bad news for you this morning. I don't have that for you. Now, don't get me wrong. We're going to be looking at the book of Haggai. It's a book that if I were to wager, a large portion of the people watching this broadcast, a large portion of the people at City Church have probably never read Haggai. I will admit that even I, sometimes, have to look at the table of contents to find its page. In fact, I am a professional Christian. I do this for a living, and the past few weeks have been the first time that I've ever studied Haggai. And as we look at this book, what we're going to find is that there's not much new here. There's not much new. You see, we often think that what we need from God What we need God to give us is some sort of new information. If we want our lives to be different, we think if God just gives us new information, everything's going to be okay. We think that any of our problems is just because we haven't found the right passage or the right key or the three tips from Genesis on how to have a better marriage. We think that if we just get new information from God, everything will be okay. But the reality is, what we're in need of is to be reminded of what God has already said, what God has already done. We don't need new information. We need to be reminded again of what God has done for us. And we're not alone because the people in the time of Ezra and the time of Haggai They needed that same thing. So I'd encourage you uh, to open your Bible. Maybe you have it on an app. Maybe uh, you can open it on another device, but open up to Haggai. It's kind of, you open up towards the New Testament and you just start going backwards, you'll get there pretty quick. But let's look at Haggai chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, In a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 2,500 years ago and intended for us this morning.
So the word of the Lord comes again to Haggai. This is a, a new prophecy. It happens a few weeks after his last prophecy, just a shade under a couple of months. And the people have listened. They began rebuilding the temple. They started the work that Haggai encouraged them to do. And so now they are all gathered together. And while this date, this date is seemingly nothing to us, we kind of skip over that it's the 21st day of the seventh month. But in reality, this is the last day of the great feast of tabernacles. And they are all gathered together, the people from all throughout the land, to celebrate this. And they look at the temple, and I think that most of them couldn't help but wonder, what is God doing? Because not only is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles one of the holiest days in Judaism, but it's also the anniversary of when Solomon's temple was completed. 440 years prior to this date, that Haggai comes, that Haggai comes and, and speaks to the leaders and the people of Israel was when Solomon's temple was completed. And the people look at what they're working on. They look at what would become known as Zerubbabel's temple and they couldn't help but gather and be discouraged. They look around. What is God doing? What's going on here? Because some of them may have remembered the temple that came before. And as they look at it, Haggai encouraged them. He says, look at it. Do you see it? Do you remember what the old one was like? Does it seem like this is nothing in comparison to that? And all the people, you can kind of hear a collective groan. You can hear them sort of say, yeah. Yeah, this is not what we expected. This is not what we thought it was going to be like. And so then God, through Haggai, gives them three commands. Gives them three commands. The first command is be strong. And what's interested is this is exactly the same thing that God told Joshua. As Joshua stood on the banks of the Jordan River, taking over for Moses as Moses has died. And now Joshua is supposed to lead the people into the promised land. Lead them in. Their discouraged and disappointment that their leader for the past 80 years is now dead. What does God say? God says, be strong to Joshua. Haggai says to the people, be strong. And then he tells them to work. He tells them to set out to work on this temple that they are building, just like Moses commanded the people in building the tabernacle. And then he says, do not fear, which is the refrain, the repeated thing of nearly every single one of the prophets in the Bible. It's interesting that in the people's time of discouragement, Haggai doesn't come with some new idea Haggai comes with something that they've all heard before. Be strong. Be faithful. Do not be afraid. All three of these then, he roots in something significant. Be strong. Be faithful. Do not be afraid. 
because I am with you. The promise that that God made to Abraham, the promise that God confirmed on Mount Sinai, the promise that God made with David and his descendants, this same promise, I am with you, is what God says to the people here. But we can understand their discouragement, can't we? We all feel that. I mean, look, we had to, in a, in a flurry, send out texts and emails and social media posts to tell you that we don't get to see you face-to-face. That's discouraging. That's discouraging. And there's a thousand other reasons for us to be discouraged right now. Think about the ways that you're discouraged. Maybe it's got something to do with with quarantine and COVID. Maybe it's got something to do with, with schooling and helping out with your kids with that. Or maybe it's a relationship that just seems broken. Maybe it's a loved one who you have prayed for again and again and again. And oftentimes what happens is we look around in our discouragement. We look around at the things that are frustrating us and we think we know what God should be doing. We think we know what God should be doing and he isn't doing it the way that we think he should do it. I mean, think about this for the people of Israel as they stand there with their meager temple that doesn't have the cedars of Lebanon, that doesn't have the gold and silver that Solomon and David accumulated to put there. No longer is the Ark of the Covenant there because the Ark of the Covenant was destroyed. No longer is this temple this enormous complex, but it is just a small thing. We get discouraged when we're trying to do the right thing and God doesn't show up the way we think he should. Our hand is on the plow. We're trying to do the right thing, Jesus. We're trying to follow after you. And God doesn't do it the way we want. And so we get discouraged. This is because we want to control God and his timing. We want the comfort that comes with accomplishing something. We want the security that comes with things being in the right place. We want the acclaim that comes with having built something. But all of these things are rooted in our pride. Very often, our discouragement is rooted in our pride. Because God isn't doing things the way that we want. People of Israel were discouraged because they no longer had the biggest and best temple on the Mediterranean coast. I do this. I am guilty of this. It's pretty easy for me to get down. It's pretty easy for me to get frustrated especially when I'm trying to do the right thing. I get frustrated, I get angry, and that leads me down the path towards despair. God, I thought you'd called me to do this. God, why aren't you showing up in this? 
God, why is this hard? Why is everything like that? And that is rooted in my pride. I want God to do my things, my way, at my speed. And I don't stop to think that maybe the Holy Spirit is doing something different. Maybe the Holy Spirit is doing something on a different timeline than I want it to be done. Maybe God is with me and I am just worried about myself. And so what I do is I get discouraged. I give up. And and I ask questions like, God, are you still there? Have you abandoned me? And that sort of path of, that, that I go down, I think it's a path that a lot of us go down, of, of discouragement, giving up, and then looking towards the heavens and saying, God, where are you at on this, is exactly the opposite of what God commands the people in the face of their discouragement. I get discouraged. God says, be strong. He's not telling me to improve my my clean and jerk numbers at the gym. He's not telling me to do more Ironman triathlons. When he says be strong, he's saying take courage. That's why in Joshua, he pairs his command to be strong. Be strong and courageous. You ever think about the fact that discourage is the opposite of courage? I get discouraged. God says, be strong. I give up. God says, keep going. Keep working. And I wonder if God has abandoned me. And God says, do not fear. Do not fret. Do not worry. I will never leave you or forsake you. But it takes humility on my part to believe that. Because I want it done in my way. I want it done at my speed. The people looked at the temple as if it was almost nothing. And God says to them to keep working. He tells them that what if, in another passage, it is just for you to lay the foundation. See, that that doesn't sit well with us. What if God is calling you to plant an orchard that you will never eat the fruit of? What if God is calling you to plant a vineyard where you will never get to drink the wine? What if God is calling you to lay a foundation for something that you don't even know what will happen to? That makes us uncomfortable. And the reason that makes us uncomfortable is because of our pride. Because we think we know what's right. We think we know what God should be doing. We think God should be working on our timeline and our projects. And God says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be strong and courageous. I want you to be faithful. And I want you to remember that I will not abandon you, that I am with you. My presence goes with you. But, but Haggai's word doesn't stop there. Because then he cast their mind into the future. He says, in a little while, in a little while, I will shake all of the nations. I will shake the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea. Everything will be shook. Haggai 
begins to tell the people that God is going to do something big. When God shakes the heavens, when God does that something big, where will he find us? What will he find us doing? You see, as we read this passage and and read about what God is going to do in shaking the nations and in filling his house with the, the treasures and people from all nations, when we read this passage about the latter glory of this temple, the temple and the end is better than the temple in its beginning. While this is the temple where Jesus will walk, he is more calling our minds to the second coming of Christ. Now, I'll admit that this is not, the second coming of Christ is not something that I talk about a lot. And I think some of that's rooted for me and for many of us in the church traditions that we grew up in. The church tradition that I grew up in, talking about the second coming of Christ was something we did a lot. A lot. Like every week, that's what it was all about. And, and we had charts and graphs and, and paragraphs on the back of, of every photo to explain what exactly that chart and graph meant. And, and I'll be honest, at times it was weird. And so my sort of natural reaction is to sort of shy away from that, to, to not talk about that much. But Christ is coming again. Let's not forget The great mystery of the church is Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. It's easy for us to put this out of our mind, to ignore it, to say that talking about the second coming of Jesus is what what people who, who, who think wild things do. But Christ is coming again and he's going to shake the heavens and the earth and all of the people and all of the treasures from every nation will stream in before him. And that reality, because it's reality, that reality of Christ's return should shape our lives. Most of us live our lives as if things will just continue going on the way that they've gone on forever. No, the reality is Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And when he does, when Christ comes again, he's going to set all things right. All of the hurt and pain that sin and death has caused, those tears will be wiped away. All of the injustice in this world will be scrubbed clean. And we like the sound of that. We like the sound of of justice flowing like a mighty river off of the mountain. But be careful, because what's often our heart's tendency when we think about that is to think about the way that God is going to serve justice to everyone else. When I say that when Christ returns, he is going to mete out justice, here's my guess your first response was to fill that justice box, fill that box in your mind with what other people have done. Not the unbelief in your heart. Not the way that your pride and selfishness 
has caused harm to others. But when God comes to put all things to right, he's going to do the same with the evil in your heart and mind. With all of our wasted time, with all of our unbelief, with all of the ways that we have thoughtlessly hurt others. And that will be revealed as well. If you're here this morning and you're, you're not a Christian, I think that this idea should be a sobering one for you to consider. It's not a fear tactic, but it is a warning. If the God of the Bible is real, if, if what the Bible says is true, what does that return mean for you? What does it mean to look at a holy God? See, for those of us who are Christians, we have this as our good news as we consider that. If, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, the judgment of the second coming has been moved from the future to the past. The judgment of the second coming, for those of us who are Christians, has been moved from the future to the past. Because the very Jesus who walked in this temple that the people that Haggai was speaking to were building, that same Jesus took all of the guilt and shame and punishment that was reserved for us, and he took it on his shoulders. Jesus suffered for the ways that we ignore his return. Jesus bled for the ways that we run away from him. Jesus took the punishment for the pride of demanding that God works at our speed. For the ways that we seek to make our name great. He took it all. And he paid the whole bill with his holy blood. Jesus has done that, has taken that on our behalf. And so the same God who loved us so much that he took that sin that had separated us from him, that had separated us from one another, that same God gives us the same instructions that he gave to the leaders in Haggai's day, to the people who were building the temple. City church, be strong. Do not be discouraged. God is with you in the hard times and the good. City church, be faithful in your work before him because God is with you. Be faithful in all the different vocations, families, and neighborhoods where God has placed you, where God has sent you. And do not fear. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He walks with us. Be strong. Be faithful. Do not fear. For the God that will shake the heavens lives in you and works through you. Let's pray.